from the message paraphrase, so it may look and read a little differently than yours. You may have the NIV or ESV or even if you want to go old school in King James. So bear with me, but it's on the screen. It says this, hey, even before I read it, like I said last week, if you hear something and you're like, yo, that was good, you can say, man, amen, preach, keep on, you know, like you can talk back and it's all good. I'm good with that. Or if you feel like, yo, girl, that was that was for you because last week you was tripping. You need to get that. It's OK to tell her and fellas the same way, like homeboy, like you need to get it together. Like it's, the, the point is this. Let's turn this monologue to a dialogue as best as we can. And I think we'll track well that way. Is that cool? Awesome. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 11 says this from the message. It says, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you live in them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. I mean, we can stop right there with that right here. Paul's coming with it. He says, open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. This morning, family, I want to speak from this headline, Get a Vision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for the time and this space, Lord. God, we're in here, Lord, asking you to speak, and you will. And so, God, incline our ears to hear, Lord, what you're saying to us. Open our eyes to see what it is that you're trying to show us. And, Father, we're all in here, and we say, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, 2 Corinthians, it's a letter written to the church in Corinth. And the writer of this letter is the Apostle Paul. And Paul had previously written letters to this church, and he was trying to uh, identify some problems within the Corinthian church and to offer solutions and to teach the believers there how to live for Jesus in a culture uh, that was corrupt. And so in those previous letters, Paul took on a much more uh, pastoral tone. Right? He was trying to bring some instruction, trying to bring some wisdom. It was much more tra- uh, uh, pastoral. While 2 Corinthians, it's much more personal. He kind of flipped the script a little bit. He's coming more from a fatherly tone. And the reason that he's doing this is because the church is falling victim to false teachers who are causing all types of disruption, uh, disruption within the church, even to the point that they are now questioning Paul's ability, questioning his authority, and even questioning his ministry. And so because of their inability to see the truth of all the things that Paul has brought instruction and wisdom to them, it is now causing them to live a life less than the life that has been made available to them by Jesus Christ. And so Paul wanted them to know, like, look, the small life that you're living is not because of me. It's not because of what I haven't shown you. It's not because of what I haven't led you to. It's because of the way that you're choosing to live. It's due to your inability to realize what you have. And so the question that Paul was essentially asking the Corinthian church is the same question that all of us in this space this morning must answer. Why live small when you can live big? That's the question that we must answer. You know, I don't know if you're into 
Christmas movies. I guess I kind of am. And it, even if I, I was not, we have three small kids, so I would kind of made to be into them, kind of like Baby Shark and kind of all this other stuff that I'm into. Please don't sing it. Spare me for a few moments there in Becoming Kids with your kids, so we'll take a break together. But there's a Christmas movie called A Christmas Carol, and you have the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. And they give Ebenezer Scrooge this out-of-body experience to gain a perspective of his life that he wouldn't otherwise be able to have. Now, I'm about to say something crazy, so please just track with me. But what if we could have the same experience? That's what I mean, just track with me. But what if we could have this out-of-body experience where God almost set us down and we got to see our lives from a completely different perspective? What do you think you would see? What would the perspective of your life be? Would you see a life of wins, a life of celebrations, or a life of losses, or a life of lessons and opportunity? But here's another question for you. Would you and God see the same thing? Because I've come to realize, family, that often the way that we see our lives is different than the way God sees our lives. See, where we see a closed door, God says, no, listen, that was protection. Well, we see a loss, God says, no, that's not a loss. That's just a lesson over there. Well, we see a mountain, God says, no, 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 that's an opportunity for faith. And well, we see sickness, God says, listen, I am the God of miracles. Do you see what God sees? And the question that we're going to answer for the next four weeks of this collection is why live small when you can live big? And I don't know what came to your mind when you saw that question. And maybe you started thinking about living big has to do with big homes and big cars and big money and big vacation and all that. But can I tell you this? Living big has nothing to do with any of that. Living big has to do with living in the fullness of the life that God, through Jesus Christ, has made available to all of us. And listen, it should be reflected in every single space of our lives. So living big, it means being a great mom. Living big means being a great dad, a great friend, a great employee or employer. Living big family has been, a made, has been made available to all of us. So how come so many of us, we choose to live small? You know, Numbers 13, it tells the story of Moses sending out the spies to spy out the land that God had promised them. And he wanted the 12 spies to bring back a report. He wanted to know, like, yo, what was the land like? What were the people uh, like living there? Were they strong? Were they weak? He wanted to know how was the soil? Uh, was it fertile? Uh, was it poor? Uh, are there trees in it or not? Try, try your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. You know what kind of report the spies brought back? They're like, yo, this land really is a good land. It really is flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. I think we would do great there, but too bad we just can't go. The people are, yeah, that's the reaction. Like, huh, you say all that, but then you said we can't go? They say the people there are powerful. Their cities are fortified, and we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, that was the response of 10 out of the 12 spies that were sent out. And because of the response of the 10, they were not able to move forward into possessing the promise that God had made to them. And actually, they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. How many of us are wandering because of the smallness that we feel? How many of us, we have the word of the Lord, 
but yet we feel like grasshoppers in our own eyes that we are choosing to remain where we are instead of choosing to step into the spaces that God has called us to step into. Because we got to look at it. There's levels to this, family. There's levels to living. You're like, huh, what do you mean? There's levels to this, right? There's, there's God's perfect will, right? Through submitting our lives, through obedience to him, we can live in the perfect will of God. Or we can live in God's permissible will. Well, he says, listen, I mean, that's okay. I'll allow it, but I've got more for you in that. Or we can just simply live outside the will of God. How do you see your life? Do you see the same thing that God sees? So my question, because I, I don't know how you do it when you read Scripture, but I like to ask questions. Like, why would the ten spies respond this way? Like, this land really is good. Why would you not go get it and God promised it to you? Why would the spies respond this way? Why would they see a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land that supplies everything they need, but instead shrink back instead of choosing to possess what God promised? Now, some of us in here, we may be thinking or even saying, like, yo, I would never do that. No way. But can I challenge us this morning that we actually may be doing the very exact thing today? Now, while it may not look like crossing over to a physical promised land, but it does look like stepping into a spiritual promised land, a place that God has called us to dwell and be fruitful. It's like we talked about last week, that the things that God called us to is not just for us family, but it's so that we can be an answered prayer to somebody else. Right. So it's not just about, well, what does God want to do with Michael's life? What does God want to do with Katie's life? There was, there's been so many amazing stories and testimonies from last week, and I'll, I'll share one with you. Uh, there's a, a church in the area, and I love this because the, the thing about the Becoming Church, we're not here trying to build the Becoming Church. The scripture, Jesus says, I will build my church. So it's not Michael's job, it's not Katie's job, it's not the serve team job to build the church. It's our, our job to steward what the Lord has given us an opportunity to be a part of. So Jesus is going to build his church, and that's good. And it's all because of this. Why? Because of the kingdom of God. So there's not this little kingdom called the Becoming Church, but there's the kingdom of God. And that is the cause that we're trying to advance. I say all that to say this. Uh, there's a church uh, here in the area called Rocket City Church. Uh, they just uh, launched last January, just recently celebrated a year. And we're outside last Sunday. I think it was about 8.30. We're getting set up. We're putting tents out and the flags out. And all of a sudden, I see this caravan of cars. And I'm like, the flyer said 10, right? <laughs> we ain't ready. Y'all got the tone around. <laughs> the coffee ain't high. Like, none of that. <laughs> but they hop out, and it's some of the serve team from Rocket City. That they were like, yo, we heard the Becoming Church is launching today. We're finished setting up. Let's go over here and help them set up. Just kingdom. Amazing, right? That's what it's all about. And so they help us set up and all that stuff, and they get going. Well, this past week, I was with uh, their pastor. We had coffee. I think, I think we ran into each other, actually, at the coffee shop. And he's, he's like, listen, I want to tell you this cool story, this cool testimony that happened. My neighbor, I've been trying to get, I've been building a relationship with him for like the last year. Because I just want to come in heavy. I just wanted to come in and let him know that I genuinely cared about him. But then I was going to make that ask, like, hey, why don't you come visit our church? And he's just kind of brushing me off. Well, somehow he heard through the grapevine, however that worked, that 
what Rocky City did to come over here and help us. And he was like, hey, I heard your church did this to help a new church that was just starting. Hey, I'm going to see you at church on Sunday. Now, here's what could happen, family. That guy can give his life to the Lord right now. His future could be, be forever changed. His kids coming behind him could be forever changed. Right. His grandkids behind him can be, lives can be forever changed. Why? Because of a group of people that said yes to the Lord. Now, he's not a part of the becoming church, but he's a part of the kingdom. So it's a win. So what is my point? We can't let the smallness that we feel choose us to stay stuck because of our own insecurities. But we have to trust what the Lord is doing because it's bigger than us. There's something on the other side that we might hear of the testimony or we might not. But we know that the Lord is working and he is doing something in us and through us. And so we can't live a small life, but we have to choose to go possess the promise that God has called us to, to dwell and be fruitful. That's why John 10.10 says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than ever dreamed of. Jesus came so that we could live a life now far better than any life you could dream of, but not just on this side of eternity, but on the other side of it as well. And so why did the 10 spies, we're still trying to answer that question, why did they choose to retreat versus choosing to inhabit the promised land? And we must ask that of ourselves. How, many, how come so many of us choose to do the same thing? I think the answer is simple. The spies lack vision. And family, if we're honest, sometimes some of us, we lack vision. The spies lack vision. And because of that, they weren't positioned to live the life that God had destined them to live. And when you live a life without vision, you live a life less than the life God has for you. So listen, you know, life in Christ, life in Christ isn't small. That just may be the way that we've chosen to live. So it's like, don't be putting that on God. <laughs> he didn't do that. That's just, he's made everything available. It's based on our willingness to respond in obedience and trust him. So it's just the way that we've chosen to live. The Bible says this in Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people get out of control. I love the way it says this, right? When you don't have vision, you get out of control. But whoever obeys instruction is happy. We need vision. I mean, think about your kids. If you have kids or cousins or nieces or nephews, like, they need some guidelines because without those guidelines, they get out of control. Okay, your kids are all angels. I get it. So it's just our kids. (laughs) Our kids need some vision. They need some direction. They need some clarity. But we're not much different than our kids. Us too, we need vision because it brings direction and it brings clarity. And it doesn't mean that everything will always be perfect, family. But at least our steps are right. At least where we're headed is the right direction. And speaking to that, I don't think that people simply have character issues, but rather they have vision issues. So when you see someone whose character is off, the character is not off just for the sake of being off. It's off because they lack vision. right. Right? The moment they have vision for their life is the moment their character changes. Oh, this is what God wants to do with my life? Well, then I can't act like that anymore. So you see, the vision changes the character. But as some of us who are followers of Jesus in this room, here's the opportunity that we have in front of us when we see that, someone whose character is off. Instead of telling them, what's wrong with you? 
You need to get it together. What's your problem? And I get it. Sometimes I need to hear that in the right way. <laughs> but how about we take that moment and that opportunity to give them some vision for their life by pointing them to the image in which they were made? And so instead of spending so much time in the moments you have with them of telling them everything that is wrong, because that's easy to see. We see it. We know it. They know it. What if we took that moment to speak life into them because of the image in which they were created in? So now we can call out the very things that God placed in them, which then gives them vision for the life, which changes their character. I just have a soft spot for that being a youth pastor uh, before. Because it's so easy to see the issues. But man, what if we were intentional and said, you know what, I'm going to speak life to this situation yeah. rather than telling you where you're already at because we all, they already know where they are. People don't simply have character issues. They have vision issues. Helen Keller says this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. How many of us can see but we can't see? So when you lack vision, you lack the ability to see the possibility of what could be. And so because of that, so many of us are remaining and living stuck. And we're living in the past, no matter if it's good, bad, or just indifferent. We're stuck in the past because we lack vision for what's ahead of us. Like we see, they see lack, but you can't see provision. You see pain, but you can't see healing. You see brokenness, but you can't see restoration, right? We don't, we don't have to worry about the things that we need. We just need vision first. And then God begins to supply every single thing around that vision. Because vision, vision is not what you see first. It's what you see second. Right? I don't know if you ever renovated, renovated a house. But what you see first is this dilapidated home. But it's the vision that you see second. Well, I'm going to knock out this wall, and we're going to put a big island right here, and then we're going to open this up. Vision is what you see second. Y'all looking at me like, what are you talking about? So let's go to the Bible. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel, who's the prophet, he must go to anoint uh, the next king of Israel because he's going to anoint the next king because Saul, who is the current king, has been rejected by the Lord. Uh, so Samuel, he makes his way to Bethlehem, and the Lord's like, yo, you need to go see one of Jesse's sons. It's going to be one of his boys. And it says this in 1 Samuel 16, 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and they thought, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He saw him, and he's like, yo, surely this is the guy. But here's what the Lord says to him in verse 7. He says to Samuel, like, listen, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. And here's the difference between sight and vision. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, sight is what you see first. Vision is what you see second. And so here's what happens. So, so Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons. And he's like, nope. Nope, reject it. Nope, reject it. Like, bro, is there another one? And he says, oh, yeah, well, there's, there's the youngest. He's down there messing with those sheep like he always doing. Samuel, excuse me, Jesse never even considered him. 
Could it be some of you in here you've never been considered? You feel like people have always overlooked you? People have always counted you out? People have never given you the benefit of the doubt? But can I tell you this, family? I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God sees with vision and not with sight that people didn't consider you, people weren't looking for you, people weren't thinking about you, but people said, but God said, listen, I've got a purpose, I've got plans, I've got hope, I've got future for your life. So while they may not have been looking for you, but thank God that he was looking for you, and he wants to do something in you and through you to make a difference in the life of your family. Maybe you come from a situation where you're the only one that's trying to give this thing of following Jesus a chance. Can I tell you, family, he wants to use you. Maybe there's generational curses that God's going to use you to break off of your family. Just because it was that way don't mean it's got to stay that way. That people may not see you, but God sees you. When people saw a shepherd boy in David, God says, no, that's a giant killer. That's a king right there. When some people saw an out-of-control Christian killer named Saul, God said, no, this is an apostle to the Gentiles. And when some people saw a wild card named Peter, God says, no, this is the new leader of the New Testament church. I'm so thankful that God sees with vision. And because of that, family, we need vision for every single area of our lives so that we can begin living life on purpose and in purpose. You know, vision is what you see when you close your eyes, right? Because, again, what you see first, this is sight. But sometimes vision happens when you just close your eyes for a moment and you see past what you see. It's like you look at your marriage and you say, well, I didn't know my marriage could look like this. I didn't know I could love you the way that I loved you before. You look at your family and you say, I didn't know that my family could actually experience healing. I didn't know there could be restoration. You look at your past and you say, I didn't know that my past could be redeemed. You look at your disappointments and you say, I didn't know that I could live in the joy of the Lord. You may feel, family, that there's nothing to see about your life, but can I tell you, there is every single thing to see about your life. Colossians 3.3, it lets us in on this. It says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. So you know what that means. When the Lord looks at you, He doesn't see you like he sees you, but he doesn't see you. When he looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus, the holy one, the perfect one, the righteous one, the one that knew no sin, but became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So 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 some of us, we get stuck because we feel like, but Lord, I did this, but Lord, I did that. And he like, I ain't even looking at you, boo boo. Like, I'm looking at you, and I see my son, Jesus. So why don't we get outside of ourselves and realize when we surrender our life to Christ, that is the moment that everything changes. And so the things that you think disqualify you, they don't. God's forgiven you of that, and he's ready to use you. Because for you died, and now your life is hidden in Christ. You know, these last two years, it's called some of us, to become complacent. And complacency is nothing more than living in the reality of what needs to get done, but lacking the desire of making any progress in getting it done. 
It's kind of like me and my diet. (laughs) So we say this. We say, well, I need to devote more time to Scripture, but I'm too tired to get up early and too sleepy to stay up late. Well, I want to get back connected to in-person church, but the service times aren't the best for me. Well, I need to live a healthier lifestyle, but I really love cookies. That is for me. Remember when I said that earlier? So I'm just telling myself, that is for me. I love my family, but the work I do is just too important. So in essence, complacency has led us to living a small, fenced-in life. And it's time to get outside of the fence, family. It is time to step outside of the fence. Paul, remember, he's saying to the Corinthian church, he's like, listen, I have not fenced you in. The smallness you feel, it comes from within you. Your lives aren't small. You're just living them in a small way. And I think that's true for so many of us. But we don't have to stay there. We can get outside of the fence. Because this fence that we're living in, it has taken our vision. And we need to get a vision. In Genesis 12, God tells Abram to leave his country, leave his people, leave his father's household, and to go and go to a land that I will show you. And then he tells him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all the people of the earth are going to be blessed because of you and through you. Now, this is significant because Abram and his wife, they don't have any kids, right? So this is clearly God's about to do something amazing to see this happen. But do you think it was immediately that Abram saw this promise unfold? Maybe five years, maybe 10 years, something like that. No, it was 25 years. It had been 25 years since God told Abram that all the people of the earth will be blessed through him. So you can imagine Abram, I know I would, it's like, like, yo, like, like what's going on? Like, what's happening? You made this promise to me. Now everything I have is just going to go to my servant. Have you found yourself in the same spot as Abram? You start thinking about all the decisions that you made because of what God said. And because you haven't seen it come to pass, you've placed yourself inside of a fence. And so, well, you know what? I, I thought I heard him say this, but maybe I didn't. Well, he said to move to Huntsville, but it's not going the way that I thought it was going to go. He said, you know, I'm I'm, going to use you in this way, but I don't see where the doors are opening. I don't see where the opportunity is coming from. And so instead of thinking about living this open, expansive life, I'm just going to get inside the the tent because the tent is cool. The tent kind of has, let me just get in. Boy Scouts, none of that. So, don't judge. So we just, we've just gotten inside the tent. And we're in the tent. I'm like, man, I, I kind of like this. Man, I don't have to deal with nothing that's going on out there and all the other stuff. I think I might, I think I might stay in this tent. There's a safety in this. A little bit too much. Let me, let me zip it up. Ain't getting too close. Uh uh-uh. uh. Y'all trying to get me to check out that new church. Y'all tripping. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna shut this up. So we just gonna we're gonna hang in the tent. But family, when we're in the tent, it's almost like, you know, we're like, well, if I didn't step out in faith, you know, maybe my family would have been better off and more secure. 
maybe if I just did things this way, life would look different right now. And so what happens, we start, we start living in regret. And when we live in regret, we live in the past and we lack the ability to see the possibility of what could be because we're polluted by the stain of regret. And so now, a lot of us, we can't dream again. We can't hope again. We can't even believe again because regret has stopped us in our tracks. And, and so now we're living this small life just hanging out in the tent. Anybody got any coffee? <laughs> I didn't bring any snacks in this tent. And so this, this fence, is, it's changed the way we believe. Some of us now, we, we have this, I only believe it when I see it mentality. Because we've experienced too much hurt and, and too many things have fallen through. So it's like, well, I believe it when I see it. So now we can't even celebrate the successes of those around us. Because, no, we got to see it first. And, you know, this is, this is the person who uh, they lack the ability to be optimistic about anything. They, they anticipate that most things will just not work out. It's just like, well, what I see just tells me all I need to know. And it's just based on the past not working out. And so we say things like, well, I would step out of this tent. I would get out. But based on my family history, no one has ever accomplished anything. Nobody has ever done anything. So why would I think it would be any different for me? Well, you know, I live on this side of the town, and you know what they say about people who live on this side of the town, so why would I have that opportunity? Or, well, I don't know all the right people in order to land a job. I'm not connected enough. My network isn't as strong. There's no way I can get that opportunity. And so, family, instead of living a John 10-10 life, a full, overflowing life, we have chosen to live a small, fenced-in life where we take the mindset of, well, it kind of just is what it is. But can I tell you, family, we have got to, we got to get outside the tent. Okay, I'm not as young as I used to be, so (laughs) your knee's cracking, but we've got to get outside of the tent. I'm gonna, as I close with this, the fence has called, caused many of us to just give up. But family, we're not supposed to live in regret. We're not supposed to live life with just sight. But we're supposed to live life with vision. But the only way to live life with vision It's the first. You got to get a vision. That's going to require us to get outside of the tent. And I get it. This thing feels feels comfortable, feels good. The only problem is this is a small life. This is a fenced-in life. Can I tell you, the thing that you think is not possible is possible. You may think, you may be thinking in your own strength and your own ability. But Paul says this, when you feel weak, 
that God, that Christ is strong in you. So it's never about whatever ability that I have, but it's about God working in me and through me. Now, for some of us, getting outside of the tent, it brings on anxiety. But I think the reason why it causes anxiety is because we've chosen to take responsibility for whatever happens once we get outside of the tent. But listen, anxiety is only is, is, is mainly an issue when we take responsibility for things that we don't have authority over. But what if I fail? You don't have authority over that. What will people say about me? You don't have authority over that. But I want to go in with Christ. My friends are going to clown me. You don't have authority over that. But what we do have authority over is our response to the Lord's invitation of get outside the tent. So here Abraham is. Abram is he's complaining. You're giving me all this. You're making all this promise. But it's my servant who's going to get everything. I'm childless. In Genesis 15, 5, the Lord did just that. He brought him outside. He said, Abram, look towards the heavens and number the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. Friends, your lives aren't small. Our lives aren't small at all. We've just been living them in a small way. We've allowed the fence of uncertainty and the fence of fear and the fence of anxiety to box us in. And God's just saying this morning, it's time to get out. It's time to come outside. Come outside and get a vision for your life. Come outside and get a vision for your marriage. Come outside and get a vision for your future. Because in here, I was checking, but there's no vision in there. There's no vision inside the tent. There's no vision in the fence. You've got to get outside of the fence to get a vision. Get outside of your hurts. Get outside of your pain. Get outside of your disappointments. Get outside with God so that you can get a vision for your life. He has so much more than you ever imagined. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man all that God has planned for those who love him. You can't even imagine. I mean, go back to five when your imagination was just crazy. You can't imagine more than that of the things that God wants to do in your life. But those things aren't just for you. It's so that you can make a difference in the lives of people in this city. So you don't have to live a small fence in life, but you can come outside with God and get a vision for your life. And so as I said up front, living big isn't about big homes and big cars and big vacations or big money. And if you have that and you do that, there's nothing wrong with it. That's just not what living big is. Enjoy it. Do it. You should. God provided it. But living big is living a life in Christ. Because family, he's our all. He's our everything. 
Because when those things fail, when people miss the mark, as hard as this is to imagine, but when I disappoint Katie, my fulfillment has to be found in Christ. And so if we want to live a big life, it starts with living a life in Christ. He's the order to the chaos. He's the peace in your anxiety. He's the strength to when you feel weak. And all that he is and all that he has, it's available to you this morning. You can live the big life that God wants you to live. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. God, we don't have to live a small life. God, you aren't fencing us in. Lord, this life of living set apart to you is not about the things that you want to keep us from, but it's about the things that you want to get us to, to find fulfillment in you. God, to be able to experience joy with you, but even also experience grief with you, but having your love to cover us in the middle of it. It's being completely immersed in you and who you are. God, would you help us by your spirit to live that kind of life? God, would you help us to be people who represent you, who are ambassadors of you, Jesus, every single place we go so that through the way we live, people may see you and begin living a big life in you. So while every head is bowed and all eyes are closed just for a moment, there may be some of you in this room that say, you know what, Michael, I need Jesus to come into my life, that I want to live this big life. And I recognize that living that life, it begins with Jesus, that I've been living small. I've been living this fenced in, boxed in life. I've been inside of that tent and I need to make Jesus Lord and Savior of my life. I need to make him Lord of every area of my life. I need his forgiveness. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus, he has forgiveness for you. Jesus has healing for you. He wants to speak to every broken area of your life. Listen, family, he's here today. And if you will let him get close, I promise you those hidden hurts, those things you've never shared, those things you've never communicated, the things that you have nightmares over, the things that keep you awake at night, he wants to heal you of that. You can experience freedom in him today. And some of you in this room, you may be at this place where you want to rededicate your life to the Lord and say, God, I've got some broken areas in my life and I need to be cleansed. I need to be healed. I need to be forgiven and saved. Listen, I'm not here to judge you. No one is here to judge you. And I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. I simply want to invite you into this moment and into this space of healing, forgiveness, and forgiveness through prayer. So I don't know, this may be a first-time commitment, or this may be a rededication, whatever category you happen to fit in. I'm just simply asking, would you make a decision for him today? I'm inviting you to that moment. So just while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please, 
If you want to be included in this prayer, if you say, listen, that's me, I just want to invite you right now. You can just slip your hand up all over this place. There's no one here to embarrass you. Yeah, I see your hands. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's what it's all about. You can put your hands down. Now, I'd like all of us to pray this out loud, but especially those of you who lifted your hands. Can you repeat this after me? Say, Lord Jesus. Uh, come on, say it like you believe it. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent for all I've done wrong. I believe that you died and rose again for me. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for changing me. I choose to trust you with every area of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate right there? Like for real, for real. Can we celebrate that? That is what it's about, family. That is what it's about. Life change and transformation and seeing people come into the space of submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because listen, it's not about behavior modification. My kids do that well. But it's about life transformation. And that only begins and it starts with Jesus.